Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. Today is going to be a very detailed podcast. I am so excited about uh, our conversation here today uh, because we have the one and only Sam Whitaker. For all of you that follow me and know about our organization, Sam is my partner, and he is also our CFO. Today, we're going to talk about underwriting and value, how it's determined and how we project out. It's going to be a really, you know, it's when I, when we get a lot of feedback from you guys, one of the most things that we're hearing and seeing is that um, you guys are really trying to understand better how to price self-storage. And it is a mix between a science and an art, and we're going to get into that. But I'd also like to uh, remind you guys that if you go out, we've been running the special for the book, and it's still up on the site, so we're probably going to be continuing this for another couple weeks. So if you guys give us a great review on Amazon, go to Self Storage Income, Put it into self-storage income, the email right there for the bonus. We send you out the modelers. The reason why I'm telling you this and why I'm going to keep it going is because after this podcast, it's going to, you're going to understand a lot more about that. And when you get the modeler, it basically, I call it the money on the table, but it's the spread. And when you underwrite and how you find where the value is and find the right assets to purchase. So we're going to keep that going after this podcast, because I know you guys are all going to want to get on there and play around with it. But with that said, Connor, we let's, should we just get straight to it? Let's get straight to it. And I just want to say, I, we do have the one and only Sam Whitaker, like you said. That's right. And regardless of what anybody says, he's an awesome dude. And uh, It's who you ask. Well, and I also want to make note that Chuck Norris actually gets all of his advice from Sam. It's true story. True story. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We, uh, um, you it took a long time. So we had Sam on It was one of the very first one of the episodes very we first did. episodes. Yeah. And even though it was one of the very first episodes, um, it took a long time for anybody to topple the number one spot he held. And so he held that for a long, long time. And uh, so now we're ready to do take two. Um So uh, we had to pause for a quick second. Uh, the uh, landscapers are <laughs> working during the podcast, so if you hear some buzzing in the background, uh, we apologize. But uh, with that, Sam, um, we wanted to cover 
uh, you know, a lot of areas that you've spent a lot of time building up models, doing valuations, what you've seen, because it's obviously changed a lot since we started. And, you know, how we looked at facilities and everything, which came through experience. It came through actually watching the assets and seeing how the finances worked, um, which allowed us to see lots of opportunities. So when you're looking at facilities, when we, we got a facility and we have a facility we're looking at right now, um, why don't we kind of walk through and talk about the value you saw in this facility? So when the facility that we're looking at, give you a little background before we jump in here, um, we found it, it kind of fit what I thought was our bread and butter, like what we like to see. And why don't you walk people through those value-add items? And when you're looking at a facility, how you're identifying it and how that affects the P&L. So when we're looking at the new facilities, uh, new potential acquisitions, the value add items, you know, I really look for is where the current rates are at, um, at the facility that they're charging, and where the potential of those is going. Frequently what you see is operators that have come in in the past acquire these facilities, usually, or build them, and they maybe at the beginning put the rates up a little bit and then they never change them. And then in order to be and provide good customer service and to be, you know, good owners, they'll make deals with a lot of people. It's something that you see common on owner-operated facilities and not professionally managed facilities. And so these owners will make friends with the potential tenants and cut deals, which really means that they're affecting their revenue in a substantial way over the life of this asset. And when that happens, it's a clear signal when you see the gross potential income on a property level for years. There's not a more obvious sign that there's a place to move the rates at. And in some cases, in some locations, you can come in and incredibly raise rates, and which is something I love to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing, yeah. Yes. And, uh, and so this facility that you're talking about was one of these cases. Um, it was a fairly new build, and uh, but the rates have been flat forever, and their posted rates have just been whittled away down in this economic occupancy. Explain the difference. What's economic occupancy? Sure. So economic occupancy is the variance between what the collected rates are versus what your posted rates are. And so you can be, you know, 99, 100% occupied, but you're really only collecting 70% of what you say that you're collecting. Now, the reality is is that when you see economic occupancy numbers, in many cases, if there's this big disparity, a lot of times, if it's mom and pop, that number is incredibly different when you take into account potential rate increases that you can do on this new property. So I've seen cases where, you know, they're sitting at a 70% economic occupancy, 
but including rate increases that I want to do on the property, this thing's really 50% occupied. Now, you're talking, so the economic occupancy, that 70%, you're talking about um, that 70% of what is listed at that facility, but then you're also saying what you want to do in rent raises to get it to the market. Then when you add on that additional what the market's charging, you're at a 50%, correct? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so there there can be such significant upside on this. And it's been proven time and again for us that this happens. And really it's about finding the right deal and being able to uh, accurately pinpoint where it's going to go and what its value is. Um, We look at hundreds of properties, literally. I mean, the amount of properties that I have seen come across my desk is just endless. And it's almost, you know, it it's hard not to become second nature when I see something come across my desk and be like, eh, I'm rejecting it, you know? Yes. <laughs> AJ, AJ tends to be, you know, the optimist, and Ron's the optimist, and I'm always the pessimist. I'm like, guys, this thing sucks. It's worthless. We don't want to touch it, you know? And, and that's good. <laughs> that's good. But, uh, you know, there, there is a lot. I Basically, a lot of these discussions that we have come down to Sam, here's what we can do with it. You know, we know what the mark, you know, we know where it can go. These are the other factors outside. And, and, you know, I, I live in a world of, you know, hard numbers where I want to see exactly what happens. I get AJ or Ron come to me and, you know, and, uh, say, well, just look at this, you know, I'm like, yeah, guys, I need to put this through my sheet because I need to know what's going to happen. And, and AJ can tell you this, I'm very, I'm really non, uh, I'm really not a person that's going to use somebody else's numbers. I have to get into it. I have to do it because that's the way I understand it. Well, and that's why we, we say, and I, and you know, say repeatedly, once again, if you're not doing your own numbers, then that's the biggest risk you could have, um, because you're dependent on other people's numbers and valuations. And like I like to say, you, you, you don't pay for pro forma, pro forma, but you buy off of it. And that's what Sam's talking about. And so you will get stuff from brokers that are already built out and they build out their performa sheets and Sam can run as we can put it through Sam's modelers as we're looking at it and do an evaluation. And it's just not right. It's like this facility can't, either achieve that or the numbers there's no context to what has been built out in that so when after when sam gets the facility and he's running it through our modelers and as we're looking at the outcome of that it's a multi-tiered process it's you've got the um, rates and then you also have the conditions of the market that we're looking at the revenue drivers what's going to affect those things um and what are some of these other what are those some of these other items that you're looking at when you're building it out in your model? Well, so you just touched on one of them, the revenue side. So I talked about uh, the potential for rate management. That's obviously a naturally a huge one that many people miss. But another one is 
the ancillary lines and fees. Um, we're a big fee charging company. We love to charge late fees, admin fees, auction fees, you know, pretty much anywhere where you can think of that we, you know, that a transaction that happens, we charge a fee for it. And, and all professional operators do. Yeah. And there's multiple reasons for that. Right. And and each one has its own individual reason. But again, this is the stuff, especially late fees. Late fees are going to be your second largest revenue item in a storage property. And people always use late fees as a negotiation to appease customers. Managers, on-site managers, are also always pushing the owners to waive fees. And really, you have to be okay with being the bad guy in these situations. And and if you can't be the bad guy, you need to hire somebody to be the bad guy. What they're doing, and, and this is a battle that I'm telling you, we it's just... We start this straight out from training when we train managers to get new ones. So when we when we buy facilities, this is something that is lots of times a deal breaker for managers because they don't like the fact that they should have to collect on those fees and it drives them nuts. But what happens is you're training bad tenants. You're saying, listen, you have to pay on time. And every time you give that up, those are the pen- tenants that end up not paying you. And you have to evict and you don't make money off of. And that's after you gave them concessions on late fees. So you're literally incentivizing people to do bad things and keep those bad people. Late fees is a way that we can, you know, call the herd, so to speak. That we get the right tenants and good tenants in there. And exactly. It, it, you know, ones that don't pay, you're like, this isn't, your bank's not going to let you do that. Nobody, well, you know, it's like, you got to right. pay your bills. And, and that's your only stick you have. You right. have to act like a professional company. Exactly. For sure. You know, and when we started, you know, we started with, you know, these small facilities. And when, you know, I started managing those, that was that was my thing. I'm, I said, we're, we're moving now from being, you know, very passive in this to being very aggressive in it. And you can collect a lot of money on a single property in any given year. We're talking, you know, fees in the, you know, like tens of thousands of dollars. You know, that has a significant impact on your bottom line. That property that we're looking at that you were just talking about, I think I was looking, we we were having a meeting with uh, um, some of the potential investors and the line item for this year so far that I was looking at was like $7,000. That they've waived. That they waived. Yep. So far this year. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's that's crazy money because... Put that on a cap rate. Exactly. $14,000 in revenue on a cap rate? I know. So uh, late fees are a huge one. And and I just think about it like, what could you do with $10,000 today? Yeah, like, no kidding. I could do a lot with it. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. I could do a lot with $10,000. <laughs> Well, then you've got that bigger picture of all these issues that compound, again, going back to the type of tenants that you have, the time and resources that it takes to manage those types of tenants that are going to be non-paying. I mean, the losses that you experience, 
that are compounded just from not collecting simple lay fees is work can be astronomical. Well, and two yeah. for me, and this is how we had we we have our training meetings and stuff with managers, and I and I tell them this, and this is really important. I want everyone to know this because when you waive late fees, you are not being kind. You are not being fair and equal. What you're doing is you're screwing all of your tenants that pay on time and they pay on time because they obey the rules and they know if they go outside, they're going to have to pay a late fee. What you're saying is this one person we're doing special things for, for some reason, whatever that reason is, but it is, uh, you're actually being completely unfair in how you operate and you're rewarding a person, the person that you don't want to reward and you're penalizing all your great tenants that pay on time. You got to look at it, not as that individual, but as the facility as a whole, the businesses that you have, the great tenants that you have, why are you doing them? And unjust? are you going to go back to them and lower their rate? Are you going to give them concessions or tell them, Hey, you don't really need to pay on time, right? That doesn't make sense. You're running a business and it's really important that you are loyal, particularly to your good customers and that you treat everyone equal and the same. Well, and it's true. And then, and only after you implement that kind of policy and you're studious at it, then you can say if one of your good tenants does fall on hard times like the coronavirus, then you can actually waive fees in that instance because you've put yourself in a mindset where you don't waive them. Right. And then finally, once you have the tenant that you want and like and know, now I'm not saying that you let it last forever. Like the late fees that I approve are very, 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 very few and far in between and only and predicated on their history with us. I will never waive a fee for any new person. I just won't do it. But if they have been with us for five years, always solid pay on time history, exactly. then we can talk about maybe one time. Yeah. It's like a customer <laughs> loyalty program. Right. I mean, it really is. Um, and the, you know, this is a funny issue because for some reason it's controversial, and I don't know why. Like some operators get upset about it, and, and like, why are you upset about paying your bills? I have to, but. Um, Anyways, and so it's, but that's a big one. And that's a big one that can cause a lot of headaches. And the facilities that are waiving fees, what it's like, it's like the canary in the coal mine to me. The moment that I know that you're waiving lots of fees, the moment I know you're leaving a lot of money on the table. And that means you're disorganized. It means you're not holding to policies and procedures. And it means you probably don't even have them. I was going to say, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) if you have them. Exactly. And it shows cracks and room for us to come in and run a good business. So what are some other items? Um, admin fees are another one. Um, a huge thing in the industry back in the day was uh, security deposits. And I hate security deposits with every part of me. I hate them. Explain why. Because it creates a constant needless battle forever for the life of the tenant right so if you take a security deposit and normally they're small amounts i mean you know 50 bucks or something and then the tenant decides to move out at the end then you have to fight this person over 50 bucks and you invariably will give it back right 
unless they are just a totally useless person and just trash the place, you know, you're pretty much always going to be giving it back. And so then you have to manage all of these payments out on security deposits. And it's so well, I, you're showing it on the books. Yeah. You're showing it as income. It's not. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, if, if you're showing it as income, then <laughs> you need to hire an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> Which lots of them are. Yeah, exactly. They, they literally, they, it's like, oh, this is a great deal. And that's how they view it. Yeah. And then when it comes time to pay. Yeah. Then they got a liability that they have to send out. And it's, it's ridiculous. So the much better way is to collect a portion of that as an admin fee, just so whenever somebody moves in, you charge an admin fee. And this is crucial on new builds because, you know, you're building in an admin fee on hundreds of units. You know, your first year, that really cushions how well your first year is going to be. Well, and two, the admin fee is important because when you look at the lifespan of the tenant, we put all our money to get the tenant there and to get them in a unit. That's where the bulk of all the work comes up. And so the admin fee is how we offset a lot of those costs. So if you're not charging an admin fee and you're charging a flat fee, you have all this embedded work and cost associated to getting that tenant in that now has to be dispersed over time. And if they don't, if they don't stay a long time or you're running a special and then they leave, that's a massive loss to your operations. Well, that's the best point there because... The admin fee does cushion you a lot on getting abused on, you know, your uh, discount offers that you do. And you, in this industry, you, you have, have to. to do them right now. And it sucks, and I hate it. I wish we never had to do it, but you do. You know, when you got players like public storage and extra space running the deals, that can be the difference in renting the unit. So... You really have to in a competitive area. If if you have a monopoly, then go you're crazy. Good, yeah, you're good. <laughs> but most places don't have that. So uh, the other big one is uh, insurance or uh, tenant protection programs. That's a huge area that you can also find a lot of extra revenue that most properties don't do. We've seen just so much money on the insurance side and and it's something that most people don't think about when you know getting into a storage property the uh the tenant insurance and stuff but um you know what i bring up to them when that happens is i wonder you know why why aren't you selling something that you could sell very easily and instead let some broker <laughs> get the money Right. It's crazy. Exactly. It's crazy. So anyway, it's that's another big extra line on the revenue side. And one thing I want to mention too about auctions though, uh, for auction fees, uh, which is can be um, can be a bigger amount. Um, we're pretty stiff on our auction fees when we do get somebody to go to auction. Mainly because, you know, we want to invite this tenant out and never see them again and so uh if we have a bad tenant that we end up having to auction we will be pretty brutal um to make to have it go out so uh 
you have to also think about the tail end on those fees um, because when you end up auctioning a unit, most of the time you're not going to be getting any money, your money back on what you charge. You're really increasing the, uh, the likelihood for you to get more money in the debt collection process. Gotcha. Yeah, I know there's a lot of misconceptions that I've run into where uh, just talking about storage to somebody that doesn't know a whole lot about it or that's, you know, quote unquote, looking into it. And they're like, oh, man, like you guys because they see this, the TV shows and stuff. And they're like, oh, you guys probably make a ton on the auctions and this and that. And I'm like, no, not, not really. <laughs> well, and, and the <laughs> not part at all. that really sucks, too, about the storage industry is that if you do end up having like a Lamborghini in one of these, right, you don't get that money. <laughs> yeah. You only can get up to your lien. So anything over and above that you collect on these auctions, you have to send it back to the tenant. This yeah, comes back down to the importance of of um, of late fees. One of the reasons we're big on late fees and people, you know, you got to understand this. When people don't pay, not only is that a loss, the amount of work, time, and effort. So it can go months that we don't get receive anything for it. There could be nothing in the unit or it's just junk. So we're not going to receive anything upon sale of that. We've just lost three months of rent. Now we're going to lose months more as we're trying to get it back up and back on the market. And then we have to pay the whole front load to get somebody in and get it rented. If you don't have late fees, if you don't have these things, I mean, that's just, that'll bleed you dry. I mean, it is such a loss for people that don't pay. And then when we do if we did for some reason, which rarely happens, get to make it all, you barely, you, you just, you just get what was owed from the rent. So, you know, you really have to try hard to incentivize people to not even go down that road and nip it on the butt immediately. Because once you get too far, what we, what we find is when you start waving and start getting, once you get too far down that road and correct me if you think this is wrong, but you start to see abandonments go up because what they're doing is if they can't pay now, they're digging themselves a hole, right? They're not, it's, it's not turning around. It's not like, you know, they're going to. So the more we mess around and the longer we wait and the longer we try to wear this people, it, it digs, digs a hole. Right. And then you're just losing more and more money. And then they abandon the unit and you never get paid. Sure. And, and this is, you know, this is an interesting point in storage with, you know, the delinquent process because uh, so much, so many states now have statutory rules on what you can charge for late fees. Um, most, most states is $20 or 20%, you know, whatever hires, it's, that's the varies, but that's kind of the industry standard, which in a way... Um, is unfortunate because you have you know the government controlling what a private company can do on its collection process but i understand the kind of the want and the need because you do have you know people out there that go too far and abuse stuff like that but what the unfortunate part is is that you just don't want those kind of tenants i mean you really don't the the you can make money on those tenants in given circumstances, if it's someone who, for some reason, just can never pay their bills on time, I think everybody knows somebody like that. 
but um, and then that's actually kind of a tenant that you really kind of want to keep because you're making a little extra, <laughs> you know, along the way. But, you know, you do have to be careful with, with staying within the guidelines. Well, and two, there's also, I think, there's kind of a myth of that, like, a lot of people don't want to have auto pays because they think they're going to lose out on a lot of money. Talk about that. Well, yeah, so auto pays is the golden child. I mean, I just love this. If I see a facility too with low auto pays, I know that there's a huge advantage for us to acquire that facility and start collecting credit cards and information in order to automatically charge the cards. Um, People tend to stay longer if they're on auto pay because it's that factor that you just forget about it and it comes out. Everybody loves that. I mean, I... Just on my personal bills, I don't know the last time that I paid check or did manually. I mean, I just do everything auto pay, and that's just the way that the world is going. So if you're not yeah, on that train, how many train, streaming services do we have that we don't even know we have? Exactly. I found one literally yesterday. When was the I, last time I, like, Netflix opened it up and I'm you know like, took oh, a check? Geez. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Never. I was looking. I don't even know how. I, I like one night apparently I got this streaming app called Quibi or something. I don't even know. It's like I didn't know I had it until last night. I have no idea how long I've been paying for that thing. I have no idea. Like, and I'm going, ah, oh, geez, man, was, I can't was, believe it. It was a company that I started up. I just subscribed for you. And I just exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I have all these streaming services yeah. and everything. It's 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 all it's all Connor. So that's the good stuff. And then you know, once you start implementing auto pay procedures, and as you get good at it, the nice part is is that you can also start saying, well. We're going to start charging a little extra fees for you not to be on auto pay um, and price it in that way. So uh, that's that's a common thing that people that you do um, for, you know, new tenants say, you know, you can pay this amount if you go on auto pay or you have to pay this higher amount if you're not. So it's just another way to also increase your extra revenue for the people that cause you more work. Well, like that's it or just not. the thing, right? I mean, it's all relative. I mean, it all has a purpose. It's not like this. Oh, we're just gonna bleed people dry kind of attitude. It's this. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, never mind. Let me just retract everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, exactly. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's about incentivizing people and about for us to get paid. At the end of the day, in a perfect world, everybody pays the rent. Yeah. We stay. That's why auto pays. You make more money, right? They clean up. We don't have to do repairs. They're not abandoning units, right? It's an easy setup. We are not having problems. Collection. I mean, we can get into collection here in just a second. But, um, you know, these tenants that are causing these issues, it's, you know, you have 10% of your tenants that are going to take up 90% of your time. If you don't have a mechanism in there to pay and penalize that work, then it's you're, you're spinning your wills, but let's talk about, uh, collections real quick. What, when you, when you're looking at a facility and collections, what are you looking for? And is there any way that you can get collections down, make money? Is that something common? Well, I've always been a big believer in notifying people of what they owe and, um, following that up with great methods to allow people to pay. So you will, if you see a high past due amount on any storage facility, I mean, we just had the discussion with auto pay. 
you know, people tend to forget about where their money's going. And, and if, if somebody's not on auto pay and they just forget, oh, I forgot to pay my storage. I mean, what level of priority is paying your storage facility, you know, your storage unit? It's pretty low on everyone's list because if you don't pay that, you know, the lights aren't going to turn out, you know, and so you can't watch your Netflix. So. Yeah, you may have not even been to your facility in eight months. You may not even be thinking about it. Exactly. So, so I'm a big believer in if somebody does go past due and in delinquent, you got to immediately tell them. You have to say, send them a text, say, boom, you need to pay your, your unit right now. And most people, when they get a text and says, oh, you're past due, they're like, great, thank you for reminding me before you pay, you know, charge me a late fee. So, uh, and then you just keep texting through the first few days, calling too. We big believers in calling people and, you know, sending emails. So we do all of those things. We send out invoices through the email. We text people. We'll mail an invoice out to people if you pay for it because who uses paper anymore? I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but if you pay to have an invoice sent, we'll, we will send you that. You know, we just want to make any way that we can have people get what they owe in a quick way, and that'll improve collections. You just have to let people know. Um, I've seen personally seen facilities that have never told people and you have, and also never auctioned people. And so I've, I've literally taken over facilities that have people that are literally years past due years in this industry. That's insane. I mean, if that was an owner occupied, if that was a manager doing that, that is, you know, that's seriously bad stuff. This one happened to be owner, you know, but you you do see that come across now. And then obviously that's a gem to buy. So. Yes. Right. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, we, yeah. we bought that one, right? Yeah. yeah. We did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, talk about, too, um, the u- unit giveaways, not collected, like the last one we just bought. And walk uh, talk a little bit about that because that's another thing. Once again, I use the expression money on the table that it's just sitting there. What do you mean? So they had, it was... How many units that they weren't collecting on because they were either friends? Oh or yeah, okay. So or, yeah, what you goes fifteen? Yeah, I want to say or something, something like, like in the it high was, teens. Yeah, it was in the high teens. I mean, yeah. people use crazy product-based methods sometimes on these facilities, and you just got to think you are freaking insane. I, I have literally seen buy one get the next fifty percent off. What are you doing? You know that. That is offensive to me on a level. It really is. Don't anybody write us in and tell us that that's a good idea. We, you, Sam will hunt you down. I will. Forward me the email. I'll be sure to send it back and just say, you're dumb. <laughs> because it's it, you're all of a sudden saying that your space is actually really 50% less valuable. Yeah. And right. then multiply that over years of collections and these are also facilities that never do rate increases. So multiply, yes. and you take those potential increases there, and that's gone. And then when you go around to sell, hopefully, if anybody does that, actually, I do want to know because I want to buy your facility. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> send the emails. Yeah, send the emails. <laughs> and I won't say you're dumb. I'll say you're the smartest person in the world, and then I'll Why, buy your thank facility. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this uh, this brings up a, a good point, though. When you talk about it, we're looking at facilities and things that we're talking about. They're almost, they're all combined. I, I usually find that when we find these facilities, it's not one thing. It's almost all of them. It's like if you're doing one of these things, it means that you're doing all the others. And walk them through, because a lot of people, I think, will listen to this and be like, it's not that big of a deal, right? Why don't you walk them through right now and just a few of these things that we've talked about when we bought a facility and cleaned it up, adjusted rates, everything, what that did to the revenue and how that, what the revenue, how that affected the value of the facility. Honestly, the effect of it is in actually kind of a way almost incalculable, okay? Because if you do that on a systematic basis across all of your units for years on a facility, number one, the value that you sell your facility at is going to be, in effect, millions off of what it should be. That is... The reality, it's huge, it sounds crazy, but it's the truth. On facilities that we've taken over, you know, we've bought facilities and literally tripled the value of them in, you know, a three to five year range over fixing rates. Now, if you take that money that you could have got in selling that facility and build that into other facilities that you could have potentially acquired, it's an exponential effect. So it's kind of scary, but every little bit does actually matter because it builds into a large thing. If you let that happen for any length of time, you are robbing yourself of millions of dollars. Yeah. It, this brings a because these are big assets. These are big assets. It brings you know it really brings up a good point and something that you know I talk a lot a lot about is what you're doing is you're robbing your future. You're robbing opportunity cost. You're not somehow doing anyone a good service. Once again, you're actually incentivizing bad behaviors. And then two to top that all off, um, you're looking at you, probably the best way you can think of it is Warren Buffett's like so almost ridiculously like like cheap, right? Because when he goes to buy, you know, a hamburger or whatnot, and he's looking at the price to him, all normal people are like, dude, it's just a buck. But to Warren Buffett, he's like, no, it's not just a buck because this buck will turn into thousands or millions to me. So for him, he can't even stomach not buying his breakfast meal on sale. And because he understands if I lose this money, the implications of this is just massive. And that's kind of how you got to look at this and look at your business is it's, it's not even necessarily to right now, but it's about the future where that capital should go. And a great way to that I look at it is we've always talked about the managers about this is the, the money that we let that we let the uh, tenants take and that we're not being fair, everything else, that's money we can't put into the facility. We're robbing from the other tenants. We're not improving our location. We're not improving the city around us. We're not being a good steward of the asset, nor our community, because guess what too? Taxes are going to go up. All your expenses are going to go up. And then you get in a cycle. 
where you can't take care of the facility anymore. You don't know what to do. The amount of money that it takes to get it caught up is too much. And so what do you have to do? You have to sell it. And you may sell it and even make a profit on it, but you lost that asset. It's it's a cycling effect. And a perf- we, we, we just got done redoing one that this was the epitome of that facility. They hadn't done anything. They couldn't even fix the roads. And the manager was stealing from them. They weren't doing any of these active rate managements. And you can see how they get caught in a cycle. And all of a sudden, it just keeps going down and going down. So they really do lose control of the asset. Um, once again, those are great ones for us to buy. We love that. If you're in that kind of, if you're in that position, you know, sell to us. We'll bail you out. We'll bail you out. But the but not too much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the inverse is also true. So you see the reverse, and I think people get that right. They understand that, and that makes sense because you can look at it a little bit. The inverse though is also true. So when Sam comes in and he's cleaning up the facility. He's bringing in more money. We're collecting rents. We get better tenants. We have less problems. We, the, our customers are better. They're happier. Our reputation is better online. The city values us as a uh, good steward of the asset. They're more willing to work with us. Partners are more willing to deal with us because they say you do a good job. And then that money is returned back in and we buy more facilities, right? And we keep the process going. And when you look at in the short term, it just seems so little, but in the long term, I mean, if you took all of our assets back, you're, you're not talking about millions. You're talking tens of millions of dollars. I mean, it is crazy to think like that, but two, we were taking over assets that for 10 years before were doing nothing. It's it's easy. It is so easy to become complacent and not think about it. And this is true for the biggest players too. Yeah, it's true for us. It's, it's true, true for everyone. It's true for us. It's true for everyone. It is so easy to fall in the lull of just letting things ride out because you could be making a lot of money while this is happening. You know, if you built it right, if you acquired it right. And if this kind of seeped into your operations, you know, five years into it, it's still going to affect you. But you yeah. still could be a wealthy person, but you're leaving money. I mean, I'm going to start, I know by me saying this, I'm going to start AJ on this huge, long thing. But I'm it's what it. economists <laughs> call opportunity cost. That is what we're talking about. You're right. Because this is the name of the game. Why are you investing? Why are you putting money into the business? And why are you looking? So, and this is a big deal. Because for us, as we're looking at where we're going, what we're trying to achieve and everything, in economics, this is a principle that is so important. It literally is the entire basis of how our system works. You're talking about future progress. You're talking about everything becoming better. This is the reason why cities are not deteriorating because better people come in and they buy them and they fix them up and they run them good. If they don't, somebody else comes and does. If you take away that opportunity cost, that's bad for everyone involved, right? We like to be not only good stewards, but to our managers, we like to have good looks. We like to have good feel. We want good people. We want to get pay raises. We want to grow. Um, and you complacency, it's like a cancer. It really is. And you're right. 
and it affects all of us and we all get in it. And when you're running a business, um, this complacency to just let one slide and another slide, it becomes moral hazard when you're dealing with tenants. Because if you let one tenant go and you tell the manager, oh, it's fine. If you think it's, if you think they're okay, just let it go. Then the manager all of a sudden thinks, okay, that door's open now. Why don't we do it to three more? And then it becomes to a point where they don't even ask. They're all of a sudden late, late, waving late fees. They're not even asking. You don't even know anymore. And they're waving late fees because you've set a standard. And all of a sudden you're going, why aren't we doing better? And your margin starts eroding away as taxes rise, as your cost rise. As that ma- same manager who's waving $7,000, like in this facility that we just, uh, you know, are looking at right now, they waved $7,000 in six months is going to ask you for a $10,000 pay raise. If that happens, you're talking about, you know, $14,000 loss and whatever that pay raise is, doesn't matter. Um, but it starts to once again compound. Well, and these, and what I see so frequently in this, in especially the mom and pop run facilities, is a uh, a guy or gal, I guess, will have ran this facility for decades, right? And then they want to retire, but they don't want to sell. So what they do is they hire a manager who does not care or look at the asset the way that they do and the way that they did. And the manager then will start running it what they care about and how they care about it. Now, one one issue that we have constantly worked through at all of our facilities is eventually finding the right person for a facility. And it takes a long time. We we have turned over many employees to finally find the right person. But once we find them, we keep them. Yes. And they're people, and these are the people that are on the front lines that are really going to affect your operation in such a profound way because they are your primary source of information on tenant activities. They're the primary source that, you know, will tell you if there's issues with late fees, rent increases, everything. And so if you don't have an advocate for your cause in that position, that person is going to be probably looking at it from their own position and what makes their life easier, not what makes the business profitable. And so, you know, finding finding the right person to manage your asset that cares about it the way you do. And then if you do find that right person, you can compensate them for it. You know, I, if, if we think that you're the right person at a facility and if you act like it, if you show it, we'll reward you. Yes. And we have no problem doing that because we trust these assets with these people. You know, these, this is a lot of money. This is, you know, my future. It's AJ's future, you know, for sure. Hopefully it's everyone else that works at our company's future. Exactly. That's what we want it to be. You know, so, so that's the big, that's the big deal, um, at these local facility levels. Well, and, and it, it sets in a discipline, like you talked about it. If you, if you don't, if you're not trying to cult- cultivate, so like for, for us, and I, and I love this topic, it's so important. One of the things that the policies and procedure manager, uh, uh, manuals hold and why we're strict on late fees and everything else is it sets a, you, you set up a, a system of, listen, we have rules. We follow them. 
our tenants follow them. We don't allow things to slip. We don't want to be sloppy. And then they, once because we are setting this example and have these expectations, that's how they manage the facility. We don't want to do the sloppy. We don't just let things slide. It's not okay for this facility to look like there's, you know, trash out there or that there's weeds growing everywhere or that you're not collecting and that you're letting people slide. Our managers know that's not okay. And you want to cultivate people within your organization that will back you up and that will support you in that mission. And a lot of times, you know, this can be hard to find, like Sam said, and you may have to go over some turnover too, but when you find them, you know who they are. And we are so grateful for our staff. And I tell my staff all the time, I mean, they're on the front lines, they're making it happen. You'd be nowhere without them. And so setting up the way you set up to manage your facility will be also how your employees work within that system. And if you tell them, we don't really care what the tenants do by what you're allowing, you're also telling them, I don't really care what you do. And five years later, you've just robbed yourself of $5 million. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's just the way it works. And that's how we look at it. I mean, we take a five-year out and we're a refi and how much we can buy from that. Ten-year projections, when you're looking at the compounded uh, return on that and how much you can grow and employees you need to hire. It's, it's a big deal. Well, so. and I'll, and I'll tell you too, this isn't just the mom and pops. Okay. No. This no. is at every, every organization of size, because let's say that you grow a little bit. Okay. You've started your business and then you've built, you know, several locations and all of a sudden you can't personally manage, you know, the individual managers. So at some point you're going to have to hire middle management. And when you get to that point, it is going to be even more critical that you get the right person in the right spot because you're going to be giving more duties and more control over your assets to this middle management. And if they don't share your vision and if you can't trust them, (laughs) I mean, you're you're now, you know, multiplying a problem at multiple facilities. So, yeah, you know. it, it's and two. this goes in the same thing. When you look at vendors um, in which, why don't we, uh, why don't we talk about this here for, for a minute? Um, when you're looking at vendors and the other people, because in this business, there's a lot of people that we have to work with, right? Through technology, maintenance, and in real estate in general, lots of times when these things happen, they're big dollar amounts, right? We're paying these people a lot of money. They're fixing buildings. They're fixing roadways. And you need to um, be set up so you know how to interact with those people. You need to set up so you know how to create a basis and that you build good relationships with good people that you can trust and so you can get things fixed. I mean, there's a few things in the facility that they're not fixed. Your facility is like not working. I mean, your gate goes down or you have software problems or something like that. Your facility stops working for everybody in there and as well as new tenants. And then two, we get into marketing and different things like that. Why don't you talk about um, working with those vendors and how the, when you look at a new facility and you're trying to find opportunity, um, what, what are you looking for there? Well, so the the best part about the new facilities and coming across vendors is 
if you're buying this from a small operation, guaranteed they have a guy, they've been using the guy forever, and the guy's hosing them. <laughs> so if you don't have a good bidding process in place, then you are undoubtedly paying more than you should. I mean, Connor deals with this so much, and I'm so grateful for Connor for dealing with this because I used to. <laughs> Why, thank you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Connor will bring us, you know, say, oh, this needs to be fixed. Uh, Connor, what do I always say to you when you bring me a bid? You say, yes, that looks yeah, good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sounds good. If you I think go, so. How many people have you bid this out to? <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to have competitive bidding for sure you know there are certain relationships where you know you've done it enough that consistently say and they probably come to you and say listen i'm always going to give you the best right well and there's different between long-term projects and short-term projects yeah that's true like for example like software things like that to run the business on yeah okay so software is one where you have uh it's usually a longer term one which is kind of funny thinking about software because it should be you know quick and easy but it's not Software is consistently something that can cause cogs in your system really fast, and it's not easy to move. We've personally acquired facilities that were literally on paper systems, which is insane considering we've done this, you know, since the earliest one was what, the early 2000s, AJ? I mean, that's crazy to think crazy. that someone wasn't on computers then. But it it still happens now. That's thankfully becoming rare. But even if you're on a system, you know, you have you better hope one that that system has the ability to export your information to the new one, or you're it you might as well be on paper because you have to do it all over again. You know, and so um, so you're talking, you know, transferring stuff. You're when you're talking, you know, these softwares, you're, it, there's so much that links into them. Your marketing can link into them. Your accounting has to link into it. Uh, your uh, credit cards link into it. I mean, there's just so much that goes and revolves around software. So that is such a critical piece. And so it is very important when you find the vendor that you're going to choose, that you choose a good one that you know will have consistent... Uh, updates that will stay on top of new software issues, you know, new security threats, everything. You can't cheap out on the software. You really can't because if you buy a cheap product, you're going to buy yourself many problems. Um, I And I, I talked to somebody who has been through, I have personally been through this at every level. I've been through paper I've been through standalone systems. I've been through cloud-based systems that sucked. You know, I've been through every single software piece, and finding the right one is so critical to the operation of the business. That's where everything is going is in technology. Hands down, end of story. If you don't have technology, you're living as a dinosaur, and you'll get extinct soon. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the things... Let, to kind of top this all up, when you're looking at a value-add strategy, walk through, just kind of do an overview. We covered so much here, and I, I want to make sure we're almost over an hour here. I want to make sure we, we have this right. Walk through the overview of value-add, and then walk through um, 
quick ways to begin to extract it. Because I know lots of people say, okay, well, even if I'm starting with, once again, all these things apply, smaller, bigger facilities, it's all the same. Um, Then you grab the tiger by the tail. What are some quick things that you can just do right off the bat to improve that facility? Okay, so in summary, (laughs) uh, the quick things that you can do, raise rents, implement a late fee uh, structure, uh, implement ancillary fees like admin fees, auction fees. You can uh, perform auctions. You can implement insurance and pro- or protection a protection plan. Look at and review all of the vendors that the current property is or currently using, and implement a competitive bill- bidding system. Uh, we didn't touch on this at all, but you know, the biggest line item property taxes, that's a huge one. You might be able to find savings there by disputing. And also real quick, give a disclaimer on that. A lot of people miss this and this is such a big one. What do you need to watch out for taxes? I just don't want to pass it up because this is a big one. So property taxes, it's such a big part of real estate. Every single jurisdiction is different. They all have their own methods that they use to you know, calculate the values and everything. But what you really have to watch out for on property taxes is how aggressive the assessors are in the area and what the levy rates are from uh, the uh, each jurisdiction. So you need to understand that if you buy the property, that the property taxes, if they're going to change, you need to know how much they will change. And it could be a state like California that you buy, you know, a 50-year-old asset that all of a sudden you're going to be, well, I don't even know in California, it would just be so big, the property tax change in a state like California. So you have to understand where it's going to move. Um, I've seen people buy facilities that don't understand that and then they get revalued and they're in instant loss because they paid too much for it. Um, You need to pay the right amount for it, and the best way to do that is to hire an appraiser company that knows the local assessors and can give you a good understanding of where that county is going to go or, you know, the jurisdiction will go on the property taxes. It's it's something that you can't cheap out on. You can't overlook because it will affect you. And and you got to remember, you got so what Sam's talking about here. You got to buy off the future expense. This is like one of the only things that you're going to buy off a future expense, yeah. but it's known and it's real. So you have to adjust for it. And it's so big. And it's so big that I mean, there. Yeah, you could lose your profit. I mean, you could lose. And when you pay off a cap rate, so I, I mean. Think about it. If your asset doubles in value and then that your taxes double in value um, on, you know, a facility that does $300,000 and you're now paying $50,000 more on a six cap, I mean, you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars more. So now you have the increased expense in the property tax. You also have that increased expense in value that wasn't there that you paid somebody else and now you have to make payments on it. It's, it's a bit, yeah, that's a, that's a big one. That's why I thought we, we really need to yeah, cover that. It's huge. And I mean, I've, 
I've had conversations with assessors that, you know, we, we dispute our amounts. And the first thing that they go to is, what'd you pay for it? And you're always like, I don't want to tell you. Exactly. <laughs> because they know that they're probably not charging you enough in what they could. And so they really do make it impossible to to dispute. If it's a disclosure state, that's a different story because they know exactly what you paid for it. And then there's usually some kind of laws and disclosure states that are going to protect you as far as increases, which, again, but maybe not. I mean, you need to understand exactly what the local jurisdiction is going to do. It varies so much, so much. And uh, so it just takes a little research to do that. But but that is the biggest alarm bell that I always ring when I see, you know, when we get kind of a little far on one of these purchases. And I'm like, we need to understand property taxes and where that's going to go. So, um, Sam, this was awesome. As always, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you coming on here. Um, and we, guys, I want to mention two here real quick because it's important before we wrap up. We have been doing a leave leave the re, leave a review for iTunes and stuff on the podcast, um, and we'll set up a fifteen minute call. Um, we I want to keep doing this because it's you know we've had yeah you know, I've had just tons of calls. You guys are awesome, and it keeps us close. Um, but our podcast has doubled in size, so I also want to say what so what we're doing is if you leave us a great iTunes review and subscribe, send it in. We're going to do a 10 minute call. I'm trying to get everybody in. I want, I want to reach all of you. So we're going to continue that for a little while. I cannot promise that we're going to keep continuing it because if we uh, double again here in the next few months, uh, like we have in the past few months, that's going to be very difficult. But for now we are. And also remember the deal for the book, good review on Amazon, send it into the book. Uh, the book online and you can get the modelers, which what those modelers are, and this is why I wanted to bring it up, what Sam's talking about. The model that I bought, although simple, is unlike anything that I had on the market or could see. And what it does is it shows you all these things that Sam's talking about is the money on the table. This is the money that's sitting there. So Sam's not sitting here saying, well, you know, guys, the reason real estate's great is because in 15 years, it's going to be worth more and you're going to make more money. That's not how we handle things. That's not how we do things. We make money when we buy it. And we get that money from our work and from the value that we see in the facility that exists currently. They're just not taking it. They just haven't taken the money off the table. This model has an A and B scenario. A is exactly what they're doing right now. And then B is all the things that you can kind of list out and look at. And then the, um, the spread from that, it will show out, includes financing, things like that, right? And then it shows you what the difference is. So let's say you bought it at six cap after you cleaned it up, it's a 12 or a 13 cap and the values increased X and income. That's what it does. That's what it shows you. So you guys leave a great review on Amazon for the book and uh, we send the modelers to you. Just go to the site, plug it in. Um, once again, guys, as always, this is awesome. We appreciate you. Sam, thank you for coming on. Anybody want to get a hold of uh, Sam and ask more? He doesn't give out his information, so you can email to me, and <laughs> I'll walk over to the next office and ask any questions or anything you guys may have. But uh, he is also, though, on LinkedIn, so if you want to reach out and connect there, that'd be great. With that said, Connor, do you got anything else? We should be telling our, our peeps. Nothing else to add, man. Covered it right all. On. Awesome episode. Thanks a so bunch, was. Sam. Thanks, we'll catch Sam. you guys next time. Next time, guys.